Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast. Here today with Rod, um, as well as Nikhil and Tushar, the team behind Persistence and Dexter Zone, bringing Osmos to the forefront here today on the roll-up. Excited to talk more. Learn about liquid staking. It's been a hot topic yesterday. We had a space with Nikhil and Tushar as well. We were talking about airdrops. I'm sure we'll touch on that. But I'd like to dive into some of the technical stuff, the IBC stuff, and really try to bring our community on board. So, GM Rob, and um, welcome to Cosmos, brother. GM, brother. Feels good to be here. Um, Tushar uh maybe we'll we'll kind of like start by like giving an overview of like kind of your perspective on on cosmos and you know why it has taken the forefront of modularity um and then we can get into uh kind of the architectural design choices um and why you chose to build a liquid staking protocol yeah um so i think you know before talking about cosmos i think uh you know it warrants a discussion on um, I guess my introduction and, and background as well. And I think that will help answer the question about, uh, you know, why we chose to build uh, in Cosmos. Uh, so I think similar to you guys, I got into the industry during the 2017 mania. Uh, I am and was based in Singapore at the time. And Singapore was a great place to be. Um, as far as crypto was con uh, concerned in 2017, you know, there were some big projects, Kyber Network, Icon, Silica, Republic Protocol. Um, those were some really, you know, really large uh, projects uh, back in the day. Um, I had the chance to be uh, part of the journey of some of those projects. Uh, as an investor, did well enough uh, on my portfolio to leave my management consulting uh, day job. I was consulting for the private banking industry uh, to get into crypto full-time. Started a podcast called Decrypt Asia. The thought process was in 2017, there were two seats of power in crypto. Um, so Asia was a seat of power, especially China and Korea. Um, and then you had Silicon Valley as a big seat of power. Um, and Asian crypto and Western crypto looked very different. Um, but they both had kind of self-sustaining ecosystems. So there were, you know, fund managers, market makers, exchanges, uh, secure cybersecurity service providers um, and the like, um, you know, both in Asia as well as, you know, in the West. And my thought process was to bridge, you know, Asian and Western crypto. Um, high level, you know, fast forward to 2024, I think the seat of power is, you know, purely in Silicon Valley today. Uh, if you, you know, look at some of the biggest projects that are coming out this year, whether that's, you know, Eigenlayer, Celestia, uh, Monad, um, Babylon, you know, they're all are being driven out uh, from Silicon Valley. Uh, of course, we're building from Asia uh, with our teams, uh, you know, being based across uh, Singapore and Dubai primarily. Um, so high level speaking, you know, um, after the uh, podcast, I got an opportunity to be the first employee at the crypto arm of a traditional venture capital fund uh, in Singapore called Golden Gate Ventures. Um, in 2018, built out the fund in terms of working with, you know, cybersecurity service providers, one free authority of Singapore, 
lawyers, tax advisors to set up this dedicated fund, you know, raise capital from a publicly listed company in Japan, uh, multiple family offices in Southeast Asia and, and Western Europe. Um, and also the VC arm of a sovereign wealth fund deployed that capital, did fairly well, uh, got in, uh, to a sub $100 entry into ETH, sub $5,000 entry into Bitcoin, sub $10 into BNB, and a whole bunch of, uh, um, you know, investments that, that did quite well. And we had a long-term view, so we let a lot of those investments ride uh, for a very long time. Uh, but I wanted to be on the builder side, uh, as opposed to purely being a capital allocator. Um, and so in late 2019, uh, what we wanted to do was bring real-world assets on chain, uh, especially debt products, um, and to be even more precise, trade financing products. Um, high level through 2020, we realized that it's very difficult to bring real world assets on chain. People still talk about it and it's good from a narrative perspective, but I think it's really difficult to bring real world assets on chain. You know, you want to borrow against a real world assets that is on chain. How do you implement the liquidation of a loan? For example, it's very difficult to implement those things on chain and connect that to the real world. Um, so because we were trying to bring real world assets on chain is why we chose you know cosmos and because of cosmos's app chain philosophy where what you can do is you can customize things at the chain level to suit your needs um you can choose the number of validators that you would like to have at that point what we were also you know because what we were trying to do was pitch our product to traditional financial institutions um, they don't want an anonymous or a pseudonymous validator validating transactions and potentially getting uh, to know about the transactions that they're doing. So in situations like that, what Cosmos allows you to do is figure out how many validators do you want and do you want to know their identity. So, you know, KYCing validators. And I do think that on a long enough time horizon, that is going to happen. Um, you know, and, you know, with the ETFs and things like that, you know, getting approved um, and with the proof of stake market cap increasing, you know, exponentially over the last four or five years, um, I do think that it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility to have large entities like, you know, BlackRock running validator nodes at some point, um, you know, uh, so um, that was kind of our thought process with Cosmos. Uh, basically the ability to uh, customize things. Uh, of course, we didn't go down the real-world asset path for a very long time, but in Q4 2020, uh, we did a stake drop campaign, which uh, I believe was one of the first stake drops to happen uh, in Cosmos. We had created a very nice mechanism um, to do that stake drop where stakers of Atom, Kava, and Luna, which were the three biggest Cosmos coins at that point, would receive a very targeted airdrop uh, of the XPRT coin or the persistence coin. Um, and within a three month, we had done this just as a way to distribute the token. It had not been done before in Cosmos. Um, we were doing it as a marketing thing, uh, but within three months, within one quarter of Q4 2020, we had at in 2020 prices, more than a billion dollars worth of staked assets that were participating in the stake drop. So that kind of gave us an insight into the huge amount of demand that there is from the end users to drive additional returns from assets that are already staked. And I know Andy talks about that quite a bit, but that's basically what we see with TR today as well. 
Um, and so that was kind of our high level, you know, um, thesis, but also serendipity along the way, um, you know, which kind of drove us deeper and deeper into Cosmos. Uh, also, I would like to point out that in 2019, when we started to build, uh, there were only two proof of stake blockchains that were on mainnet, and that was Tezos and Cosmos. Uh, so it was basically an evaluation of the technical due diligence done by our tech team in terms of choosing between Tezos and Cosmos. We bet on Cosmos, um, and uh, of course, it's been a frustrating bet at times, uh, especially through 2021, where you know there were a lot of other projects and chains, uh, you know, Solana, Avalanche, uh, uh, Terra that did phenomenally well. Um, but I think Cosmos has, you know, a tendency to kind of, you know, gradually improve across all the metrics that matter. Um, and that aligns very well with our philosophy of how we want to build and how we build at Persistence. So that's kind of, you know, our journey within, you know, Cosmos, why we chose to build in it, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, kind of covering, you know, I guess some of the, you know, things that we've done. For sure. Um, so a lot to unpack there, but I just want to just dive right into the kind of infrastructure of Cosmos. It's kind of interesting how Cosmos took this, this app chain route, scaled kind of horizontally, um, and now it's trying to like bring them all together. Um, and then for our, our listeners, obviously they're aware of like Ethereum scaling vertically with all these different rollups. And now trying to figure, now going like more like these different app-specific chain routes. Like the, and so these two designs have started off in different ways, but are now kind of trying to converge and solve the opposite problem or the opposite situation that the chain is in or that the, that, that the, that the state of the network is in. I'm curious with regards to the network effects of Cosmos, uh, kind of how, how, how you see um, the evolution of all these different app chains on Cosmos and the, the further growth of more, kind of what you see kind of bringing them together um, and just generally with the kind of broader um, IBC connectivity, how the network effects of Cosmos and these app chains are are playing out what you see happening kind of what what is the vision to to bring these together to make things more interoperable to make this ecosystem have a uh easier ux and a, kind of a better experience overall yeah maybe i can jump in unless the shy you have some okay yeah so i think it's an interesting question I, i've been talking about this uh, idea of cosmos and ethereum converging to the same point for the last like couple of years i could literally see that happening and you know it's it's very beautiful to see it actually play out like that because i think cosmos was very ahead of its time right you see some of the things that have been done like the thought process behind doing ibc like there were no bridges that were getting hacked in 2019 2020 but the cosmos white paper talked about ibc back in like 2017 2018 right so that's very unique to see uh the reason for that was trustless bridging and trustless interaction between chains now what was also very unique and, and it's very easy to forget this part is the fact that there were people who could see that there would be multiple blockchains who would talk to each other. Uh, because if you look at Ethereum world back in the day, like, you know, everybody cared about just one chain and, and they thought there will be one chain and there'll be thousands of applications on that one chain only. So uh, 
Cosmos has, has been ahead of its time. Uh, the problem with Cosmos, like you rightly highlighted, is the fact that there's no network effects uh, that have played out, you know, for it yet, right? So with Ethereum, while the stack may not be the best, there's always opportunities for you to like correct the stack as long as there's users. But obviously the users are not going to stick around forever either. You have a window of, of opportunity until which you have to fix your shit. Otherwise, it's not going to work. I, I think obviously Ethereum will fix it. It should. And it's not like it's in a very bad place with things like Celestia now offering, you know, uh, data availability and, and consensus. You just have to worry about, you know, execution. I think it already solves a lot of problems. And uh, one would say, oh, Celestia is a Cosmos-based chain. It's solving a problem for rollups in the Ethereum. It's, it's quite interesting to see that as well. But from my perspective, I think uh, Cosmos has struggled a lot because there's multiple chains and each chain is figuring out how to build an ecosystem for themselves, right? Like for us, persistence is, is a chain that is looking to build an ecosystem for liquid staking tokens, but on the persistence chain. Uh, similarly, you have Osmosis looking, Osmosis started out as just a DEX. It had a few applications launch on its chain after that. But now they're vertically integrating and building all the applications themselves. Uh, and, and that's the beauty of like Cosmos, the Cosmos SDK, because it really allows you to build, control the entire stack from, now, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was a recent announcement from the Skip protocol team about Slinky, uh, which allows, you know, like, like on-chain, you have oracles built into the, the, the chain itself. You don't have to rely on, you know, external oracle providers which is crazy. Like you couldn't imagine something like this in any other, on any other chain, at least for now, uh, or I cannot, uh, there may be some technical people who could, uh, so don't quote me on that, but based on the knowledge I have, it's, it's almost like next to impossible to build something like that on, on any other chain for now. So Cosmos really allows you that, that, that customizability and the problem with Cosmos, like I said, is every chain trying to build their own ecosystem. And then, you know, there's no one economy that is being built out. With Ethereum, every rollup that does well kind of adds value to the Ethereum eco ecosystem, the ETH, the asset as well, uh, which is not the case in Cosmos. Although I think now we, we have this huge narrative about chain abstraction, you know, uh, chain aggregation, which is exactly what I think Cosmos uh, is has been moving towards, which is you can utilize, you know, you can talk to another blockchain from your blockchain without the user having to interact with the other blockchain. A very simple example of this would be interchain accounts you know, on, on the Cosmos, uh, in the Cosmos SDK IBC version 3, the released interchain accounts, which is essentially you can control an account on another chain from an account on, on this one chain. So from the persistence chain, if you have an interchain account that can control an account on the Cosmos hub, you can like, you know, for, for the end user, it doesn't matter anymore, right? where they interact or, or who they interact with. So these things, I think, will really make a difference and, and we'll see a lot of super apps in the future where like one chain will just have all the applications or if they do not have all the applications, they will rely on applications on another chain. But the end user only cares about interacting with this application on this one chain. So I think chain abstraction has been in the works for a very long time now within Cosmos. It's just not, you know, I think Cosmos people are just not good at creating these fancy terms and uh, and, you know, marketing uh, names yeah. you know, or things that people build. And, and to jump in, I think, uh, so, you know, Mikhil talks about, you know, that, you know, the long-term, uh, you know, his long-term thesis of kind of Ethereum and Cosmos converging um, and also the, you know, super app uh, concept. Um, that's something I've been super bullish on as well, right? And now, you know, you see 
of course, you know, every cycle you have all sorts of players come in, right? Like it's, you know, probably your third bull market, you know, it's, you know, third bull market, you know, for me as well. And I've kind of stuck through, um, you know, now the ups and downs in the industry. My general thought process is that, uh, of course, even today, a lot of things are happening at the infrastructure level, you know, but ultimately, uh, you know, uh, things have to happen at the application level. And that's where things get very interesting, right? Where you have a lot of, you know, B2C founders, founders who are consumer and user oriented, jump in, um, you know, and kind of bring, you know, uh, a whole set of new folks, you know, into the industry. Um, and high level speaking, I think what will also happen, you know, Mikkel talks about chain abstraction. Um, I think going one step above, uh, you know, people who, you know, abstract away complexities, you know, for the user, um, what they will also be forced to do is comply with local regulations. So you'll have nice looking interfaces um, that have dedicated pages for certain geographies that matter um, and certain geographies that are forward looking, you know, such as Dubai such or UAE, such as, you know, Singapore. Of course, US will have its own framework and all the, you know, other geographies will come up with their frameworks. You know, but, you know, you have these satellite cities that are forward-looking um, where you would have dedicated applications uh, or dedicated DeFi applications in compliance with local rules and regulations and, and things like that. Of course, you know, that may not happen, you know, this year or next year. Uh, so we're kind of talking, you know, two, three years away. Uh, but I do think that what's going to happen this year or within this cycle um, is, uh, you know, people not caring about which chain they're on, just having a really smooth uh, interface and being able to, you know, uh, do away with all of the complexities of, you know, operating on multiple chains and things like that. Uh, otherwise, it's a mess, right? Like, although the alternative is that, like, liquidity fragments, the alternative is that users fragment, um, there's a lot of cannibalization and, uh, and, and, you know, it just dies a slow death. So uh, I think that's kind of what it looks like. So there will be these kind of super apps of sorts that attract a lot of people. Of course, in the background, they rely on these base layer protocols that have built robust infrastructure. Uh, so that's kind of what we believe the future looks like. And of course, something that we want to work towards. Yeah, exactly. That's the cool part. Everybody gets to build towards it. Yeah, a bunch of good points there. I think... Um... On the on the uh, con convergence thesis, it's quite interesting to understand uh, from the perspective of kind of deep OG builders in IBC. Um, not it's not something that we hear all the time, uh, you know. But there's a there's a whole another conversation going on right now with regards to um, and this like modularity thing infra, and you bring up a good point with kind of uh, DApps, and I don't want to beat this one too. Hard, but it seems like each of the cycles we've had, something like the L1 infra bets, um, and and it's, it it almost feels like it's time for some of these like consumer facing apps. But it's just so hard to actually build an app that is like consumer friendly with the state of infra right now. Um, I'm curious what your personal um, vision is for persistence, as well as generally Cosmos when it comes to things like um, 
you know, account abstraction is what we call it in Ethereum land, you know, different types of like things like email sign in and um, just onboarding friction and the reduction of that. I'm just curious how you see persistence tackling this as well as broader Cosmos ecosystem. You know, um, yeah, I, actually at some level, I think we did have a little bit of that uh, in the last cycle. It's just that everything blew up. So, you know, you did have borrowing lending platforms like Celsius, like Vault. Um, you know, you did have, um, you know, a whole bunch of other centralized players that uh, actually, you know, did abstract away the complexities of dealing with multiple blockchains. Um, it, it's just that they, you know, didn't do a very good job of managing their risk. Uh, you know, including, you know, uh, having like an email sign on and, and, and things like that. So um, I think we, we are, and, and this is a term that's been used in the past, you know, CD5. Uh, and I, I do think that, um, I, you know, I don't know who will do that or, or build um, you know, in a, in a nice way. Um, and of course we want to do that as well. So, you know, we have, you know, things in the pipeline and, and things in the works to actually make that happen and, and make it happen in a way where we're not trying to maximize usage of any particular chain, including persistence, right? So it just becomes like an end user facing application, which just sources the best yields, uh, you know, for the end users based on their risk appetites. Uh, of course, that comes up, you know, with a lot of complexity and, and and things like that, right? Including on the regulatory side. So, I think it's it's obviously, um, you know, that battle is a UX battle and a regulatory battle. Uh, it it no longer be remains a technology battle. Um, whereas right now, a lot of the things are technology battles, right? So, you know, I I do think that. At some level, that is the answer. Um, and those applications in the 2021 cycle were the ones that had, you know, massive usage and adoption and, and things like that. Um, but we've seen the industry mature and, and we're seeing, you know, better and better actors come into the industry. We're seeing the, you know, in 2020, if you wanted to build a team, you actually had to like, you know, like ask your friends to like send in referrals or like tap into your personal networks to build a team. Today, you actually have recruiters, you know, to build teams. You actually have uh, a whole bunch of suits enter the industry, um, which is again, I think healthy for the for the industry as a whole. Um, but again, I you know, again, I don't, I'm not sure if it answers your question, but from our yeah, perspective, no, for sure. Yeah, uh, what we want to do is definitely abstract away the complexities and but our focus is the cosmos ecosystem because that's what we know right um and so i don't think we're gonna say that you know look we're gonna abstract away complexities you know across the industry as a whole but what we can do is abstract away complexities across cosmos and be like okay you know if you want yields across cosmos um you know uh, app.persistence.one is the place to come uh, to, obviously, that's not live yet, uh, but that is something that is in the works. Um, where you know, app.persistence.one, uh, we envision that as 
being sort of a one-stop shop to, um, you know, to stake, to liquid stake, to LP, to put collateral and borrow, to lend, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, to put collateral mid stable coins and basically do a whole bunch of things um, that, uh, you know, you know, that takes place within DeFi. You know, high level, we're very passionate about finance. We're very passionate about fixed income within finance. And hence, we work on liquid staking. We're very passionate about DeFi as a whole. And I think I mentioned it in the space yesterday as well. Uh, You know, for me personally, it's a privilege to like build out an asset class, right? Like, I'm not sure how many people can say that, um, that, you know, they were involved at the ground levels of, the building out uh, of an asset class. So I think that is is quite interesting uh, as well. Yeah, you, you know, I, I, find it, I find it ironic how like CD5 broke and like the C part of CD5 was the reason that it broke. Like there was plenty of like, like broken assets that were involved in DeFi, right? Like UST and, and the whole tech, Terra Luna thing like that there was a lot of DeFi applications that also had that, but it didn't break DeFi. It broke CDeFi because it was inherently centralized. And now, and you mentioned like liquid staking is what you guys are really passionate about. It's what you guys are building out. Um, Like there is a relatively significant like centralization risk of liquid staking happening over on Ethereum. It's called Lido. And like, there's some real risk there. So I'd really love to understand like, kind of what your perspective is on Lido and the centralization risk it poses to Ethereum. And then like what your perspective is contributing to the liquid staking space on, on Cosmos. Is there like, like how, how have you been able to navigate that, that centralization decentralization balance to make sure that you don't face the same risks that Lido and Ethereum are facing now? Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premia is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premia, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. What sets Premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Feel free to check it out at premium.finance, hedge your risks, or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital-efficient returns on Premium Finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plan of Finance. I've recently been onboarded as an advisor for Plan of Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Plan of Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless user-friendly experience. Plan of Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Plan of Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app 
that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. I think I I would just say it's an interesting question because it's also very controversial when a lot of people feel like, oh, this is not something we have to worry about. A lot of people feel it's something to be worried about. I have a very like, I find some sort of a middle ground between both those views where I believe, sure, there's risks for sure, 100%. I, I think the reality of the situation is slightly different though because while Lido as a protocol may own a lot of these, like may, you know, be a very large contributor to block uh, blocks that are proposed on the Ethereum chain. I, I think there's a bunch of validators un underneath and, and those validators have some social standing and it's not just limited to the Ethereum ecosystem. If you look at validators back in 2019, 2020, it was all within like two ecosystems, Cosmos and Tezos. That's it. That, that, that's where validators existed. Today, the same validators exist on every single ecosystem that you see. Whether it's Solana, Cosmos, Ethereum, you know, you go to any other ecosystem, it's the same validators everywhere. Now, if there is truly an event where, you know, these validators collude to do something malicious, I think it just doesn't just affect Ethereum as, as a chain, it affects the entire industry because where are people going to stake their, their tokens on any of these chains, right? So I think it's fairly, like, I would be fairly comfortable saying it's not going to really blow up. But if I, I think... The only way we see decentralization of stake is when it blows up. Uh, until then, people are going to be okay with, with things, right? But the moment it blows up, that's when we realize, okay, now is the time to actually use different products. That's what we did with UST. There were so many people shouting, you know, at the top of their lungs and like, yeah, yeah it's, it's a Ponzi, it's a Ponzi. Nobody cared about it until UST blew up. And then nobody's touching algorithmic stable coins anymore. And, and you're probably not seeing them. So... Liquid staking generally has risks and, and I think people have talked about it for the last two, three years now, so I don't need to go into those. But the fact that one liquid staking provider controls a lot of stake on, on the chain is definitely a big risk, but we have to be realistic about the, the probability of something malicious happening, which I don't believe is, is that high in this moment. Yeah, but Cosmos is different, right? Because of the Cosmos SDK and Tenderbit. We'd love to kind of understand that um, and at a deeper level, kind of how how um, how the Tendermint validator network translates into liquid staking on persistence and yep. how you guys are able to keep that all kind of tight and neat. Yeah, so from our perspective, obviously, like uh, maybe taking a step back as well, the biggest difference between Ethereum and, and Cosmos is the fact that people in Cosmos, they learned about staking before they learned about liquid staking long before they learned about liquid staking uh we actually were the first ones to introduce people to liquid staking in cosmos back in 2021 with sdk atom as the first liquid staking solution in cosmos but in ethereum most people have only learned about liquid staking they probably till date have no idea about native staking right uh and that's a design choice that's that's caused by a design choice that that some ETH researchers made right which was we don't have delegated proof of stake. We'll have like every single validator, you know, every single person who wants to stake run a validator node with 32E. That's just, that is what created this situation to begin with. That's my personal view. And I think now there are efforts to move in, in another direction on, on Ethereum. Within Cosmos, the most important thing is uh, people are still like mostly fav favoring towards 
natively staking their assets over liquid staking and there are various reasons for that right uh, one is the airdrop season that we are seeing in cosmos where uh, native stakers just get a lot of these airdrops but there are certain very interesting mechanisms built into into the cosmos sdk now that would prevent a situation like like what we see on lido for example so uh or on ethereum precisely one such example is the liquidity stake the stick module so uh, liquidity staking module, so called the LSM, which is built by uh, Inclusion Zaki's team, uh, and and uh, we played a big part in taking that live as well. So we supported the testing and and you know putting that. Uh, in fact, that module went live on the persistence uh, chain before it went live on the Cosmos Hub. So what what that module allows you to do as as a staker is, if Andy, you have some atoms that you've staked with a validator today. If you want to liquid stake those assets, you will have to, before the existence of this liquidity staking module, you would have to unstake your atoms, wait for 21 days, and then stake it with another, you know, validator or liquid stake it. Uh, now, after the LSM came out, Rob, if, for example, you were already staking your atoms, you don't have to unstake them to move it to another validator node. Like, you can immediately do it uh, by just, you know, like, tokenizing your share. Your With every delegation you make, you get a tokenized share now. And you can just transfer that tokenized share into another wallet, or you could just, you know, lock it on another validator, use a liquid staking protocol that accepts these uh, shares. Now, with a situation where there is maybe a situation where you feel like, okay, one liquid staking provider is too big now. All of a sudden, within hours and days, you could have people just convert their, you know, staked assets or swap them out or natively staked assets. They could be converted into LSM shares of, of any other protocol, right? So, there are methods to how you could mitigate risks. And then the most important thing I think for us is making sure we delegate to like, as a liquid staking provider, the job for us is not to gatekeep validator delegations. I think that's where like Glido decided to create their own set, for example, and it worked out for them uh, for various reasons, mostly the network effect reasons and, and the fact that they were early to the game. But as, as a liquid staking provider, your job is in a, in a very big way to ensure you don't create unnecessary risks for the host chain or the chain that you're building liquid staking for. And at the same time, you're doing right by like, you know, you're not gatekeeping delegations. You're not saying, oh, you're a bad validator. You're a good validator. No, you're the best validator. What you do is you stick to facts. So that's what we do at, at, at Persistence. Uh, with the P-Stake module that we've built, the job for us is to make sure we look at all the on-chain parameters that exist. If there are like parameters like, okay, what's the uptime of a validator? Was this validator ever slashed in the last six months? Uh, has this validator, how much commission does it have, this validator has? Like, can this validator change its commission from 10% to 100% in a day? We look at all those things and it's all transparent on-chain. And that based on those parameters, there are various scores that are generated for each validator. And, you know, top X validators right now on, the, on Osmosis, for example, we select about 70, 75 validators. Uh, DYDX, we're launching liquid staking for next week. And that will have uh, about... I think 30 validators that will be selected. Uh, so this parameter transparency-based model allows you to keep rotating delegations. Also, we have this automated rebalancing model where on a daily basis, these scores are again calculated. And if a validator is not performing the, to the best, these delegations move from one validator to another. So it's always about selecting honest validators at every given point. In Ethereum, you can't do that. Like, you know, state doesn't change hand. You have new delegations that come in and new validators that are onboarded that receive these delegations, but not 
rebalance delegations, right? Uh, rebalancing, you could also call that rebalancing the theorem, but that takes a much longer time than than what you see in Cosmos. So yeah, Cosmos has some interesting, you know, functionality, especially because of the DPoS nature of, of the chain. Now, by the time this this goes live, Stake DUIDX will be online. So with that understanding, I'd love to like understand a little bit more. And I, I, I love your answer because like Lido has all of its stake and it's all in Ethereum where you guys are more like an aggregator for like a bunch of different chains that are on Cosmos. So it's less likely that you develop a centralization, like a, a state that is so significant that it poses a centralization risk because your stake in P stake is made up of several chains. It's not all committing to one chain. So that being said, like you also mentioned that it's almost like this like validator aggregator network where P stake has like its its conglomeration of deposits that go into it and then kind of like make the decision about what validators it is then going to delegate its stake to. So I'm curious like when you're when you're looking at a new application or a new a new app chain in the cosmos sense like DUIDX, right? What are the decisions that go into integrating stake DUIDX? Like how do you analyze their validator set and then ultimately like choose okay we're going to integrate dydx and we're going to integrate these specific validators of dydx yeah yeah that's a that's a very good question actually so uh maybe to answer the specific question about dydx right let's say uh, dydx is is probably one of the most exciting applications you see in cosmos today it, it is one of the only applications i would say that has real traction and adoption Obviously, there's there's other platforms in Cosmos like Osmosis that have done re that has done really well. You have a lot of up and coming chains. You know, you have Neutron Persistence has been around for a while. Uh, you have some you know good chains now. You have Celestia that has recently launched. I'm sure there'll be like so many more app chains that come about. For us, the decision when it comes to first of all selecting which chain to support uh, or build liquid staking for, uh, you know, Tushar talks about this very well. I may not do justice to it uh, to this, but he talks about you know, building this portfolio of sorts where you have like similar to how you if you're a, you're an investor how you build a portfolio where you choose which token you want in your in your portfolio right uh based on certain things that you you want to bet on that coin you you want to know that uh, tushar i don't know if you want to jump in but it, it's basically where you know you know like okay this token is going to do well this product is going to do well so you want to you know support that or bet on that similarly with liquid staking P-stake, any token that it supports, whatever revenue P-stake gener generates is denominated in that token. And that's how P-stake's revenue grows. Uh, now, when we select a chain like DYDX, it's so obvious that you want to bet on a chain that, that it has, you know, product market fit to begin with. And the most important, like, thing that you look at, like, DYDX is a very good example. Why? Because there's, like, 80, 90 million uh, tokens that have been staked out of a billion tokens. Uh, so that's like less than 10% of all the token supply being staked today, which creates a very interesting, you know, dynamic. Why? Because well, first of all, a lot of people are still not staked. Now we have to understand why they may not have staked. I think the most important one is the fact that DYDX was an ERC20 token that was migrated from the Ethereum chain to, to their own DYDX chain. And a lot of people may not have done that yet. 
But when they do it, they won't know how to delegate because they have never been a part of a DPoS system. All they've learned is like, oh, I deposit into a liquid staking protocol and that's it. Now that's something that excites us or that makes a big difference. If you look at DYDX, the chain, you know, there's like two validators at the top. Actually, the first three validators control 45% of the voting power of the chain, which is crazy. Like you won't see that anywhere in, in Cosmos, I think at least at this stage. Uh, but DYDX is, is still a very, you know, largely new chain. So it makes sense. But with T-Stake, what we can actually do is distribute that stake to a lot more validators and reduce the risks that are associated with these top three, top four validators. So for us, it's about selecting validators who may not be centralizing the network more, but rather decentralizing it more and more. And like I said, we, our job is not to select the right validators. We just say which are probably the the variators who don't meet the criteria that you need to be a really world-class variator. And only those would be like not in the set. DYDX has, I think 60 variators out of that 30 are going to be selected. By the time this video is out, you know, you'll see 30 variators uh, getting delegations, which is 50% of the network. And that is going to be based on certain parameters. Like I mentioned. What, why don't you guys run your own validators? Like, Maybe, maybe this is this answer lies in the fact, like the difference between proof of stake and delegated proof of stake. So, it would be great to kind of like get get like a comprehensive understanding of what the difference is, and then, yeah, I'd love to understand like why you guys don't run your own validators. We do. <laughs> the answer is we do. Uh, we run validators uh, under the moniker or under the brand audit dot one. Um, but again, I think what happens is that. You know, it's it's a at some level it's a conflict of interest as well, right? Like we don't like what Mikhil said. We don't want the underlying chain to be centralized um, or centralized because of us. Um, you know, we can of course, you know, from a business perspective, it would make a lot of sense, or from a commercial perspective, it would make a lot of sense. You know, we can say, okay, you know, anyone that liquid stakes via P stake, why should we delegate to any other validator but our validator? Right. We can, of course, say that, you know, that would obviously help us make more money, but that's fundamentally net negative for the for the protocol that we're building liquid staking for. And the community is going to be against us. So at some point, they're going to stop liquid staking with us, um, you know, because the liquid staking business and the staking business to some extent is at odds with each other. Um, so, of course, why do we run validator nodes? Uh it helps us understand newer networks. Right? So if we start validating as a validator, um, building capabilities on the technical side, on the liquid staking side becomes easier. So it's a way for us to train our team. Um, it's a way for us to understand networks. It's a way for us to enter the community um, of, of you know different networks. So there are networks where we may not do liquid staking for, but we definitely run validator nodes. Uh, actually, at the peak um, of you know, 2021, um, we had about uh, $600 million in total delegations on our validator. Um, uh, we just chose to not push on the, uh, you know, I think 100 plus million out of that was on Terra. Uh, but we just chose not to push, you know, too heavily on the validator business. But that's something that actually we're, we are reconsidering. So high level, if you think about it, uh, you know, we vertically integrated. So we run validator nodes. We have a proof of stake chain. We do liquid staking. We build 
liquidity for liquid staked assets. So it's essentially a vertical integration of staking plus liquid staking. And that's, I think, one of the differences between us and other liquid staking providers, right? That uh, we provide that full stack. Um, again, like I said, ultimately for us, you know, uh, like we're commercial, you know, people. Um, you know, we, we want to run profitable businesses. Um, and, you know, and from that perspective, uh, you know, for, for us, what we believe is that Audit One as a validator, you know, the chain itself, we stake, Dexter, can all get to a point where, you know, they're doing like million, two million, three million in revenue annually, at which point they become self-sustaining, right? Because you need small teams to run these businesses. Um, and, um, and so that's kind of, you know, our high level uh, you know, thought process. And uh, and again, I think it goes back to the initial thing that I mentioned about our overall thesis of loving fixed income, of loving cash flows. Um, of course, over a period of time, we'll figure out how to, you know, do right by the community and, and, and those kinds of things and where those cash, cash flows should go. You know, should that go to the protocol so that the protocol can make decisions about what to do with that cash flow? Should that be distributed back to the community? And what is the best way to do that? What is the most compliant way to do that? And so those are things that we're kind of figuring out. Uh, but we do run validator nodes. And uh, we used to do that a lot more seriously. Um, right now, uh, I would say not that seriously, but you know, we still kind of do it to understand it works. Andy may have another perspective to add here, but I'm still curious about like one, one thing that you mentioned, which is that like the staking industry and the liquid staking industry are at odds with each other. To me, like, and this is just me thinking through it in real time. Those would be like very friendly because if I have a lot of stake, I I want liquidity. I'm going to want to liquid stake that and then, and then use all of my stake, not like unlock all of the stake that I have in validator and, and use it in DeFi and, and use it so that it's liquid. So why... Why are these two industries inherently at at odds with each other? I think it depends on which ecosystem you look at, right? Uh, within Ethereum, it's actually, I think, liquid staking and validator businesses are actually they they go hand in hand. Uh, if because as a validator, there's not enough demand for native staking, uh, but within Cosmos, there's more demand for native staking today than liquid staking. The moment liquid staking starts to do well, validators start losing certain delegations because people who are liquid staking are actually stakers to begin with. They are staking with the validator for years now. And when, like, if, if I had, you know, a, a million atoms, I wish I had a million atoms, but if I had a million atoms uh, delegated to to Andy's validator node uh, and I decide to liquid stake it with B-stake, that one million atom is going to get delegated to like 65, 70 validators on, on the Cosmos hub. So I'm essentially cutting off Andy's, you know, uh, cash flow to, to a big, by a big margin, right? But as more and more people start staking who are not staking, as more and more people start liquid staking who are in staking, Andy starts seeing the benefit of liquid staking now. Uh, but until that happens, and, and in Cosmos, we haven't reached that point yet. So in reality, like within Cosmos, uh, yeah, those businesses are at odds with each other. Yeah, so again, it's, you know, also ecosystem specific. I think people in Cosmos are a little bit more sensitive as well, right? So, you know, suddenly Audit One becomes a big validator and, you know, we're a liquid staking provider. Um, I think people will have problems with that. 
um, or potentially you may have, you know, problems with that. So, you know, we actively, you know, but, but in Ethereum, it, it may not be an issue. So I, I think it also depends on what you want or what, you know, what is your core business, you know, uh, is your core business staking or is your core business liquid staking? And if you want to uh, push the narrative of being decentralized or leading the underlying chain to be decentralized, then you can't take the same stance as I want to be a validator and I want as much stake as possible to my validator node, which actually leads to centralization. So, um, of course, there's some middle ground there. Um, so, yeah, but you know, I wouldn't say it's completely at odds, but you know, to some extent. And you know, if you're a validator but not a liquid staking service provider, it's fine. But when you're both, that becomes, you know, somewhat of a small issue. It's not a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. Th this, this is fascinating because it, it dates back all the way to, to Bitcoin. And we were talking briefly about Bitcoin before we hit record. And uh, like my, mining pools and cloud mining were like a pretty big thing in Bitcoin. And it was always like you had, it was, there was some, some different trust, uh, principles that you had to factor in because you were essentially trusting this like cloud server that was like running its own mining pool. And you were just kind of like putting your Bitcoin at stake in this, in this mining pool. Um, and you had to trust them. And then you also had to consider like the monopolization, like the monopoly risk, right? Because if, um, if it's profitable and I can only, and I, and, and I only have, let's say I only have a little bit of Bitcoin and I want to earn some mining rewards, then I could contribute like my little bit of Bitcoin to this mining pool. And then let's say the entire mining pool hits a block reward, right? It's more likely to hit that if it has a lot of, if it has a lot of Bitcoin delegated to it, then the block reward is split amongst all of the people who are contributing to this mining pool. So it makes sense to like, like for everyone to go contribute to this mining pool because like they have a better chance of earning more Bitcoin. But as you guys are saying, it's a very slippery slope because it leads to uh, monopolization and uh, large pools of Bitcoin or generally stake concentrated into a very small uh, area. And that centralization risk poses like a, a real threat uh, to the decentralization of the network. So the evolution of this of this concept has has you know, taken many, many twists and turns, but I think we're still like very early when it comes to, to, uh, liquid staking and, uh, considering the centralization risks of, of, uh, pooling together funds. Yeah. I mean, and I guess, you know, since you brought up Bitcoin mining, I think if you, you know, you talked about Lido and, you know, how Lido has, you know, led to centralization within, within Ethereum, I think people forget that, like, for the longest time, and I actually haven't followed this now, but you know, there was a time where Bitmain and F2 Pool and a couple of other people, uh, who all the way, like by the way, were all friends and like all lived near each other, uh, could just collude, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it was like two mining firms, uh, and know, they had like joining hands over 50% of the Bitcoin network, exactly. Exactly. So Bitmain and F2 Pool combined had both percent, right? So you could but you know, so you know, you had two miners just contributing. Uh, but but again, I think you know, and that's the thing, right? Like once you have a network big enough, you know, you know, there's 
um, you know, there's consensus on chain, there's social consensus as well. And, and I think, you know, there are certain things that do get implemented, you know, socially. Of course, you can never trust that fully, um, you know, as much as you would, you know, trust, you know, consensus on chain. Um, the other, you know, conversation or debate is centralization versus decentralization, right? Like, is 50 validators decentralized enough? 100, 500, 1,000, you know, beyond the point, it's just wasteful. Uh, it's like, you know, you're wasting resources. You know, you don't, I don't, like, what the answer is on that spectrum. Is it 2 or 20? Is it, you know, 20 or 200? Or is it 200 or 2,000? You know, it's it's an open debate. And we'll kind of, you know, figure it out. But that's what I also think is the beauty of crypto, right? You can run these experiments very quickly, you know, um, see what the end result would be very rapidly. Of course, sometimes to the detriment of the people, you know, starting those companies uh, or, you know, starting those projects. Uh, but high level, I think the, you know, uh, the debate between centralization versus decentralization, the world always, you know, follows power laws, right? The whole 80-20, you know, value, 80% of value going to 20% of the stakeholders. So I think we see that in crypto as well across the board, even with validators. We're going to see that with liquid staking providers. We're going to see that, you know, with miners. We see that with centralized exchanges. We see that, you know, uh, you know, play out everywhere. We see that with fund managers. We see that with podcast listeners or audiences. Uh, and that's just, the, you know, uh, the rules of, you know, of the universe. But of course, um, you know, if we, again, on a philosophical level, if we talk, um, you know, you guys have this show, uh, you know, if you were in the 70s, 80s, you would have to, you know, convince some, you know, dude in a suit to let you have a radio show, right? But now you can be sitting in, you know, Puerto Rico and, and Thailand, for example, and, you know, us, you know, sitting in Singapore, Dubai, you know, doing this, you know, show which, you know, thousands of people or hundreds of people might, you know, tune into. So is that marginally better than what the systems were before? Yes. You know, the experiments that we're running in crypto, uh, do they lead to marginally better results? Um, and can the quote unquote real world learn from these lessons? A hundred percent, right? And and I think that's where the real world, quote unquote, should pay attention to some of these um social experiments, economic experiments, uh, sociological experiments, um, you know, uh, concepts around game theory. People should study these things from crypto because I, I feel it's like a trillion, trillion and a half dollar experiment, which in the grander scheme of the world is very small. Um, but you get very valuable lessons about how, you know, uh, incentivization works, disincentivization works, how a whole lot of other things, right? Which is why, again, you know, I choose to work in crypto because there's just so many aspects uh, to think about and learn about. It's very intellectually, um, you know, stimulating and challenging. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, like, my perspective on the on the on the decentralization convo is like basically like it's more about distribution of stake, where like as long as you don't have over like maybe one. If it's a hundred validators, there's not there's not a whole you know much of an advantage of having a thousand validators over one hundred, as long as like that stake isn't concentrated in one or two people. Like you just want to make sure that there's not like maybe over one percent or two percent stake in any one given party in that in that sphere. Um, 
And yeah, like I, I, I do think that the, uh, the experiments that we're taking now are, uh, creating better systems and like modularity was inevitable. Like if you look at, if you look at TD bank and you look at like all these, all the banking industries, like they're all, they're all inherently monolithic. All of those things are concentrated into like one stack. Now there's opportunities to, to blow those out and get involved at each part, part of the stack. So yeah, I, I, I tend to agree that these experiments that we're doing on distributed systems, as well as modular systems are incrementally better and will continue to get better with time. Agreed for sure. So when stake Tia? <laughs> I, I think uh, we'll, we'll wait for Celestia to launch into chain accounts. Yeah, we, we talked about chain uh, abstraction. I don't want to uh, do something that, that's the exact opposite of that. Yeah, it's a good idea. How can our community get involved as we kind of wrap up here? Um, where can we get some good yields on on chain and um you know what are some opportunities that our community can take advantage of yeah i think uh there's enough app you know enough happening in the persistence ecosystem as of today we have a liquid staked atom we have liquid staked osmo uh we have liquid stake dydx going live uh and, and by the time this episode is out will be live uh we start off by building liquidity for these liquid stake tokens on Dexter. So app.dexter.zone uh, is where you you can provide liquidity for these assets. And and obviously there are incentives to towards these pools, which are variable and keep moving. Uh, so I can't point to a number at this stage because by the time uh, this goes out, it might be something very different. So yeah, you could look into uh, Dexter and, and obviously SDK, Atom, SDK, DUIDX, SDK, Osmo, these assets will be available on on other Cosmos based chains as well, where you could use them as collateral, like, you know, you could use SDK Atom as collateral on Mars to, to loop your, uh, your, your you know, loop to, to play a looping strategy where you generate more staking rewards than you would if you just held Atom, uh, staked Atom vanilla positions. If you want to do something more exciting, you could use SDK Atom as collateral on, on Inter Protocol to mint IST. Uh, there's, there's a proposal ongoing for, using STK Atom uh, as collateral to mint USK on Kujira. Uh, there's, you know, STK Atom is available as a collateral asset on uh, UMI. All these integrations will will also be available for all the other STK assets that go live uh, on the persistence chain. So yeah, exciting times ahead. Uh, lots of these integrations happening. I think Mikhail is building the case for app.persistence.one as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> Already built. I will inbuilt. I I will also get confused where to farm that yield. It has to be. Uh, I don't think there is any other way. Super app. Well, thank you guys for uh, coming on and shedding some insights about Cosmos, liquid staking, validating, and environment SDK. All this stuff is much appreciated. And we appreciate your time. Thank you, Andy. Thank, Thank you, Andy. For a Thank you, Romney. Conversation. Take care. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. 
And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.